Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Stephanie Roldan, Director of Lean Culture at Rosen and Electric. And if you want to build better relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Stephanie, thanks so much for joining me on today's show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, really excited to chat with you a little bit. And I want to talk to you really about how you got involved within uh, this world. Um, I know that your your dad worked in the trades. Tell me a little bit about growing up and what puts you on the trajectory that you're currently on. Yeah, so it, it was actually my uncle who worked directly in the electrical trades, but my dad worked as a an X-ray repairman, so mm. General Electric, so sort of similar industries. And I think I was always sort of a tinkerer and an experimenter and potentially just someone who broke a lot of things um, and then had to, had to find a way to patch them back together before somebody caught me having broke them. But, you know, I, I started really early, you know, sort of figuring that stuff out. You know, I found myself towards the end of like high school trying to figure out how am I going to pay for college? And then just my uncle said, hey, I've got an opportunity. It's not the usual route most people take, but, you know, you can get educated. You'll learn some vocation. You'll get to tinker a little bit. And then when you're a little bit older, perhaps, and 
a little bit more established, then you can go back to, to college or go back to school and ex extend your studies. And so that's kind of how I built my career. I just, you know, built those building blocks along the way. I, I met mentors, coaches, friends that would say, hey, I think you'd be interested in this. And then they opened that opportunity for me. And then, you know, I just kept sort of stacking it up. Was there any trepidation going outside of the, you know, traditional college path? Um, or did you feel any pushback from anybody when it came to, you know, going the direction of not pursuing that four years of college, then figure out what you're going to do? Yeah, I would say that I personally had trepidation. I didn't get it from my my mother. So after my parents divorced, my mother was just like, I just hope that, you know, this isn't going to harm you in some way. And so mm -hmm. she was open to essentially any suggestion that would equal me being successful later in life. But I was right. I, I spent, you know, you go K through 12. So what's that like 13 years of your life, yeah. essentially being told, you know, you're going to have to go to college and the only way you can succeed or make money is if you go to college. And then I was like, well, hold on a second. So I'm not going there. So does that like, where does that leave me in the world? And it was really interesting because when I reflect back my senior year of high school, I took a, like a, this study program that allowed you to do like one hour in class, but then you had to earn like three hours outside of class, um, working a, a part-time job. Right. And so those then three hours counted as part of your coursework. And so it filled out your full day. And so they'd let you leave early as long as you were doing that part. And I remember um, telling a teacher something about a salary or we were discussing like how much would be a good salary, right? And she said, that's not going to be enough. And I thought, well, what do you mean that's not going to be enough? And, yeah. and, and then I was like, well, hold on. Now, now this is really getting a little bit scary. But I, I got lucky that my uncle was like, hey, don't worry, you're going to start there. But the system does, you know, have merit. You, you begin to move up and you'll earn a higher wage and over time then you'll have a journeyman salary. And then that will turn into, you can be a supervisor and then all these opportunities open up. He's like, so yeah, she's probably right that if you were a full grown adult, that's not enough, but you're not a full grown adult. You're an 18 year old young woman just starting out. And, and so that relieved a, a little bit of the pressure. Why do you think there is such a stigma surrounding, you know, taking trade jobs or, or not following the traditional educational route? Because it, it definitely seems like that's starting to come around a little bit. I think people are seeing it as a viable option, but I felt the same way going out, going through high school. It was like, where are you going to go to college? Like you're not going to have any viable path to success without that. Whereas now I'm starting to see kind of a flip where more and more people are starting to be okay with saying, go become an electrician, go become a mechanic. Like there is a lot of security and education that come with those jobs. But why do you think for so long there's been that that kind of stigma? I think the, the, the challenge and sort of getting away from vocation and then heading towards this academic world was probably some inflection point at which vocational opportunities were lessened. And we might have overcorrected for, hey, all of a sudden we're not building as much and we can see it now, right now we have an infrastructure bill that needs to come. We need electric charging. We're building data centers for the metaverse. You see all of these things and they require infrastructure to happen. And I think we overcorrected and said, well, every if, if this is slowing down, then everyone must have a college degree because we're going to have all of these professionals. And so now it's like, okay, now we have a ton of professionals and we have a workforce shortage and there's not enough people to help us build what we need to build to keep the professionals moving forward. And you could have, you saw it a little bit in COVID, right? Where it was like, 
all these essential workers, please keep working because if you don't keep working, then we can't work remote because we need the internet. Uh, we need Zoom. We need uh, every software under the planet, right? Like all these things. And then unfortunately we had some catastrophes, right? Like Texas and their infrastructure and their heating, right? Went out in the middle of, of a winter storm. So, you know, you're seeing all these like things where it's like, because we didn't put an emphasis there, we don't actually have the workers to support the work that would continue to keep all the conveniences that we've all become accustomed to that we thought were just normal everyday things. Right. Right. Yeah. You definitely saw it in COVID. I mean, and you had, uh, I work with a lot of people in the automotive field and you saw, you know, when you saw manufacturing plants shut down for COVID, but you saw how that impacted, you know, dealerships for much of 2020, the salesman couldn't sell what wasn't being made and, uh, you know, couldn't deliver cars that weren't being trucked over. And so it, it caused a lot of disruption. And I think that's one of the things that's pushed, you know, out of a bad situation, I think it's realigned people's focus on, you know, the benefit of these different industries. Um, I, I'm curious for your perspective, because you work in a role where you're focused so much on inclusion and diversity, being a woman entering into the trades. We talk about corporate environments typically on the show where, you know, diversity doesn't exactly, uh, and inclusion doesn't exactly come to mind with those environments. How um, is diversity and inclusion handled within uh, kind of the world that you're in right now? Yeah, so I would say that it's been the focus now strongly in the last year, year and a half's time, right? You you had the the unfortunate death of George Floyd, which you know the entire nation couldn't ignore at this point that something needed to be done around um, racial and social justice. Mm. Then you add into the fact that we you can go on any construction site and you will see that we are male dominated when it comes yeah. to who's doing this work. And, um, and, you know, there's a lot of business strategy around this. If, if you have a workforce shortage and 50% of your population doesn't come towards it, yeah. you, you have something in your culture that is not desirable about that. And the truth yeah. is, I hate to say this, but it's also at times not even desirable for men to join. Like, there's an attraction problem, right? We have, mm. we have a marketing problem. We don't have a resource problem. We could, if we paid well, which we do pay well, if, yeah. if people wanted these jobs, they would come and they would seek it. And so it made us recognize in particular in my company that there is an inclusion and a belonging problem here. Whether that be that the image of construction has always been, we have to have brawn and not brains, or whether it be just the visuals are that there's a bunch of men here. So maybe I will just cursor, like just sort of eliminate myself, right? Do a cursory look and go, not, not a place for me. But then how do we get people engaged? How do we get them involved? And then to your point, how, how do we maybe mimic the environments of the business world to say, hey, we're a business just like everyone else. And, you know, we have, we have building information modeling. We actually build things in 3D space before we actually go out on the job and build them. Well, mm. that doesn't take brawn to do that. It takes brains to do that, right? And and what I've actually started saying is I, I don't want to be like the last hope, right? Like, nah, I didn't get into university. Yeah. Army's, Army military is not going to be a fit for me. Uh, maybe I'll give construction a shot. It's like, no, th there's three viable options in this world. There is university or college. There is the military and there's construction careers or vocations in general. And I say vocations because my brother is actually vocationally trained too. He's a cosmetologist. So yeah. There's plenty of opportunity there that if you find something that you do really well with your hands and that's your fit, then let's let's find that for you. Right, right. So you, you talk a lot about, I mean, 
lean cultures. I was listening to you on one of your interviews and you said that uh, the two main components of lean culture is respect for people and continuous improvement. Uh, how are you implementing those things within the culture of your workspace? And as you're trying to guide and make it a more inclusive place, you know, inclusive doesn't even necessarily have to be race and, and gender. It can also mean just people who feel lower on the totem pole, being able to, you know, bring in an idea to the table or share something that's going to help everybody move forward. How do you foster that culture, especially, you know, for someone who might be trying to steer the ship back where that hasn't been the case for, for many years? Yeah, we have a couple key uh, programs that I think really help with that. One is for our office staff. So we're uh, an employee owned company. There's 1500 of us that make up the, the ownership group of this company. They have employee resource groups. And if you've got a great idea or you need, you know, you need to talk about something or it needs to surface and the organization needs to address it, that's a that's an open venue for you. Another partner to that program is our craft empowerment program. So that's for our craft workers on the project level to do the same, right? If you have a safety concern, you have a quality concern, you have, you know, maybe you're just not getting enough material and it's not allowing you to do what you came to do when you started that morning, that's an avenue for us to address it there. And then the other thing is we have what we call our um, continuous improvement cards. And an individual can say, hey, I have this small improvement. I made it in my day. I fill out the card. It comes in uh, to an email box. And we appreciate that individual with a a recognition and, and a celebration of them making that improvement in their workspace. Larger ones you know, ultimately make a change in how the organization uh, does business, right? So we've had everything from, you know, a process improvement that then was taken across the entire organization because it was a better way to just do business. So as we start to cycle those ideas that people start to recognize, like I have a voice here. Um, it, it, I think it helps that we're a, an employee owned company because every employee's voice is equal um, in this organization. And then, and that trickles down into the individuals who work in the field who are collectively bargained agreement individuals. So we're a IBEW, um, employer. So we believe in the, in the rights to, you know, fair pay for work and uh, addressing the, the workers' rights in the areas that, in the communities that they serve. Yeah. I I'm curious when you're scaling, you know, to, for people who are listening who maybe have 10 employees, you know, when everybody is bringing ideas and giving a voice, that could be a really good thing. And it can also lead to confusion where, you know, there's a lot of people pushing a lot of different directions or all disagree on what the best route is. Um, how do you allow everyone to have a voice without, you know, making the ship rudderless, so to speak, where everybody's going a different direction? Yep. So what we usually have is a, a, a 10 year strategic objective that points us all north. Right. And so all of our efforts are moving that way. There's you know, some base camps at about the three-year interval. So we know that we're making progress on the 10-year. To empower individuals, we usually say, hey, if it's a, a quick fix and it fixes your day, but impacts no one else, you're free to make that change, mm-hmm. right? And just let us know what you did because it might actually serve others. Yeah. Now, if what you're about to fix in your mind or improve impacts any other departments or any other business units beyond yours, then it has to be uh, lifted up to what we have is a, a sort of a senior leadership group to determine, is it something that we explore today, the timetable, you know, how are we allocating resources or is this a no for us? Cause it doesn't align to our vision at this point, but, and, and then just simply addressing the fact that we've seen it. We appreciate the feedback. Yeah. Yeah. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. 
we are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. I'm curious, we're circling, obviously, relationships and communication, and the show is Built Your Network. So yeah. you should probably talk a bit about the, the networking relationship side. Um, first, I'll just ask a question we ask everybody, which is, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? I am going to lean now knowing what I know, that it's who you know. Hmm. And, and it's not because what you know isn't important. But it is important that you have people in your corner who know what you know to put mm-hmm. you in the right places. Mm, yeah. How, how do you how do you go about finding those people? Um, because obviously you had some that was just you know it was familiar relationships where you know there's this there's this level obviously you were qualified, but there's also this level of just you know someone ends up in your life who sees your potential and can move you to that next level in your professional career now you know, how do you find those relationships and leverage those relationships to move to the next level in your career and even your personal life? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've often said I'm like world's worst networker. And it's because I, I feel uncomfortable in just the sort of cold meat. Mm-hmm. I am much more comfortable with the, how can I help you meet? Mm-hmm. Right. And making a genuine connection that I can be of service And not because I want anything from it, but because it fuels me to be of service to someone else and for for them to sort of, you know, get what they need and, and, you know, move on to whatever it is that they're doing. And it's interesting because I have had the right people through my energy of wanting to be of service enter my life at a time when they did need me and then they stayed. Right. And so when I think back about just the little things, it I'm a hard worker. People can see that visibly and then they get curious and it's worked out because then they say, well, if I, 
entrust her with something, she's going to do it because I've already seen that she will do that. She wants to do it when she says yes, it's because she chose, chose it and not because she felt somehow inclined to have to say yes. And I think that's why it still equals good results for me. Right. So sure. it, when, when that happens and even when I think of like, um, you know, right now my current supervisor is going to be retiring at the end of this year. And when I first, when I first met her, I was on a, on a job site and she had come out to sort of audit my work for like an award that we were trying to win with a customer. And so she needed to make sure that like, we're following the quality procedures. <laughs> There's quite a few times where I had to say, well, we don't quite do that. Like, I, you know, it's been my little story. I joke about it all the time, but I didn't know that, you know, 10 or 15 years later after she'd seen me at that job and I was doing everything I could to make her successful at what the organization wanted her to do. Right. Which was highlight us, win this award, do the best you could, right? That then I would get an opportunity to serve her in a different way and then join her team. And and I will essentially be taking this team moving forward in 2022 and, and leading. So, you know, you just don't know where those connections will, will sort of find themselves. But I always try to figure out how can I be helpful to you? How, how can I add value to your life? Yeah, which, which is such a... I think the reason so few people do that because so many people do punch in and then do their time and then punch out. Um, I think it can be hard in the moment to define what the ROI on that is going to be. Like if I'm investing into, you know, serving somebody else, there's no immediate benefit to that, you know? And so when people can't see something measurable, it's hard to do that, but there is always an ROI on that. Like if nothing else, you're going to learn something, but more often than not, like, the people who find out, oh, so-and-so is leaving the company, that's when they start trying to make themselves useful, but they get overshadowed by the people who just did what they needed to do for the years, sometimes a decade prior to that and, and put in the, put in the work. And I think that speaks volumes to you, like putting in that mentality in the beginning and Travis Chappell, who obviously started the show and, and who I work with always talks about that engineered serendipity, like few people just get lucky. You know, you do engineer your life in a way in which lucky things tend to happen to you. <laughs> and it's yeah. a, it's just a totally different perspective. I'm going to go ahead and move us here into our random round. Cause I definitely want to know your answer to these questions. What profession other than your own, do you think it would be fun to attempt? So I, I think it would be fun to attempt being a politician. I don't really know. But I feel like some days with my need to be of service, that, that would be a fun to attempt. Now, it might be frustrating too. Yeah. I, I, I can fully see that, right? But I think if you're going to ever make change and want to do good, at some point, it's going to be painful. Like, yeah. it just is. No, yeah. I was going to say we have totally different definitions of fun. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think, that's, I think that fits right in line. And essentially, you're kind of doing that in some scale, you know, you're, you're, um, there's politics within every environment, but to take it to that official scale would definitely be an interesting, uh, interesting journey. Um, if you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present and ask them anything for an hour, who would it be and why? You know, so here's the thing is I think this one actually be personal for me. So hmm. my grandfather died like 10 years ago and I feel like I didn't know all I should know. Hmm. Like yeah. if I could rewind, right? Like and be able to ask questions. I think that's what I would do. Yeah. Um, how do you like to learn best? Books, blogs, podcasts, videos? What's the best way to consume information? So uh, 
books is going to be the best way to consume for me based on a test I took. And I didn't listen. I didn't know that that was the truth, but I love podcasts and I love mm. audiobooks. but I never understood why I couldn't retain it. Mm. I can retain it when I listen at the same time I'm reading, yeah. but I can't retain it alone. And I, I recently took a, like a, you know, a test because, you know, my leadership role required it. And it said, it's because audio things like tone and pitch and rhythm, you don't pick up. So, mm. and I was like, why didn't I know this? Like wait earlier in my career, this would have yeah. saved me a lot of heartache. Yeah. That's super funny. Yeah. And also for people listening, listening to a book while you're reading it is the most awesome thing ever. Like I've, I, I started doing that. Like I don't do it with every book. I, I tend to read just paperback. Like that's still my go-to mode, but I started, I was, I was reading a book and I was really struggling to comprehend it. And so I bought the audiobook and the paperback and like, listened to the author reading it while I was reading it. And it, I retained a ton from the book and it like completely changed how I consume the information. Like it was just a totally different experience. So I'll still do that sometime. That's like my little cheat code, mm -hmm. uh, but I've never heard anybody else say that. So that's, that's yeah, I, cool. I love it. Uh, and the interesting thing is I had, I like the tactile feeling of turning mm -hmm. pages. Right. Yeah. But as I started traveling more, I, I was like, man, I'm going to have a broken back after I carry all these books on an airplane all the time. So I thought yeah. I'll just move to audio and then I'll listen when I'm, and then I'd, I'd land and I go like, what did, what did I listen to for two hours? Like, I know it was a book, but I don't yeah. remember what lessons I was supposed to learn or what was happening. Yeah. Every time I take an audiobook on a plane, I will wake up in another chapter once I land. And I'm like, that was not helpful at all. So yeah, I love the love paperbacks. That's my, my go-to. Give me a glimpse of your morning routine. I actually have two different morning routines. I have the morning routine when I'm home with my family and I have the morning routine when I'm on the road and the morning routine when I'm on the road is relatively boring. I, you know, get up, get ready and show up. But my routine for at home is much more interesting. It usually is a, you know, a 5:30 alarm. And then I push snooze once, you know, just to give myself a little extra stretch time. And then I usually go across the hall and I start waking up the little kiddos. I have a, a six-year-old and a, a 10-year-old and they get started first in the morning and, you know, brush the hair, brush teeth, get breakfast ready, get them packed up. And then at around uh, 7 a.m., which is roughly an hour after those two get done, I go wake the teenager up. And so she's thir 13, she's almost done with middle school and she'll be heading into high school. So we just did parent orientation last night and I thought, oh my gosh, how am I this old? <laughs> and also, why is this so confusing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I already feel like that. I have a four-year-old and I already am like, wait, if she's four and she's getting older this fast, that means I'm getting older this fast. This is not good. What's your go-to pump up song? Uh, Flawless by Beyonce. Okay. Beyonce. Good choice. What is something that you're not very good at? Uh, doing the mathematical calculation for time zones um, because I've always grown up in Arizona and we don't move anywhere. Yeah. And so I barely in the last maybe five years learned the whole fall back spring forward saying, but I still don't know how to calculate when they fall back and when they, you know, like spring forward. And so like in that week, when I have to schedule like appointments, I try not to schedule anything in the following week because I, I just can't sort it out. It's yeah. Well, I think Arizona is <laughs> the only one that doesn't change. Right. I think us and maybe Hawaii. Okay. And yeah, maybe it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. My, my parents are from, uh, not Hawaii. Uh, they lived in Hawaii actually for a while. It's funny, but they lived, uh, in Arizona, they grew up there and it would always confuse me. Like, cause sometimes of the year 
California and Arizona are in sync. And then sometimes it's off by like an hour. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty confusing. Where Uh, I get confused is California is going to fall back an hour, but does that mean every other place only falls back one hour, even though I think mountain is one ahead of me or yeah, is one. See, that's where I see already confused. This is good podcasting. Uh, let's all figure out time zones uh, on today's <laughs> show. But okay, Utah is like an hour ahead. I think everybody falls. Yeah, everybody falls back an hour. So, so then someone's going to fall into my time zone. Right. Yeah. California ahead, is ahead of half the year yes. in your time zone. Yes. So my brain hurts now. So I'm glad <laughs> I don't live in Arizona because uh, I just have to figure out East Coast and West Coast. And my biggest my biggest frustration is always that, um, especially doing any kind of work with clients that are in the East coast is that if I sleep in to like eight, then they're already at like 11. So all their problems are already like DEF CON one, like we need to figure this out. And I'm like grabbing cereal, like trying to figure out what's going on. So I, the East coast is tempting just to be ahead of people uh, by a little bit would be, would be pretty nice. That was a fun bonus segment on time zones for everybody. Uh, what is the best place online for people to connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn. Awesome. I I um I don't want to say I'm anti-social, but I just I I'm I'm sort of like that old person maybe in a young person's body. I just I don't really get it to be honest. I never joined MySpace, which was what launched when I was in those teenage formative years. I didn't really follow into Facebook or Instagram. I am nosy though. I will admit that I will spy space people and I will I will Google you, but I am I, I'm just not real big on the follow here and there and all that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, if you're listening to this episode, be sure to connect on LinkedIn with Stephanie. I will put a link in the show notes there, but Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. It was, it was fun. Awesome. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapelcom slash group to join his free Facebook group podcast to profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.